following is a special presentation of the Mars Attacks podcast. Member of Talking Metal Digital. Hey, Metalheads and Headbangers, this is Dolo Cash, and you're listening to Victor here on Mars Attacks Radio. I wish you a great time, rock on, and keep metal alive. Hi, this is Udo Dostada of UDO, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windorp of Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hi, this is Robert Flushman, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with Victor. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Mars Attacks Radio. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. What's up? This is Morgan from Kitty, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Some kneel before an altar, others engage in pagan rituals. Here, we just worship music. Welcome to the Worship Series on Mars Attacks. Here is your host, Victor. Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Mars Attacks. I'm your host, Victor. And this time around for our Worship Music Series, we are doing a show based on ACDC. And who better to have on the show to discuss ACDC is the author, Jesse Fink, discussing his book, The Youngs, and also discussing some great ACDC music. Jesse, how are you? It's good, mate. Great to be on the show. Awesome to have you. Um, you wrote this book that came out a few months back called The Youngs. Um, what inspired you to put this book together? Uh, look, you know, I, I came to ACDC very late in life. Um, uh, I was... Uh, more into kind of West Coast uh, rock, you know, uh, Doobie Brothers, Eagles, that kind of sort of stuff. Um, and um, but what happened was that, uh, you know, I had this sort of catastrophic um, personal crisis. Uh, my, my wife sort of walked out uh, unexpectedly uh, into the arms of another man after 10 years of marriage. And, and out of that uh, experience, uh, which took many years to recover from. Um, I wrote a book called, uh, laid bear, which I've, I've just re-released, uh, as the glimpse. Um, and, but there was, there was another sort of very, uh, critical kind of uh, moment, uh, where I was, at home alone one night and it was about two o'clock in the morning and I was at that point where I didn't want to go out anymore. I didn't want to date any other women. Um, I was tired of, you know, um, just sort of, you know, getting out of it. And I was at home. Uh, it was two o'clock. I was sorting black socks on the end of my bed and I thought, you know, Jesus, it can't get any worse than this. Um, you know, my life, my life is just, completely gone to shit and I genuinely kind of felt suicidal and it just happened that I happened to have uh, my MacBook on the end of my bed 
And I don't know why this particular album came on, but I, I put on Power Rage, mm-hmm. which I had loaded, you know, in my iTunes, but I hadn't listened to it for, for a long time. And this song came on, uh, Give Me a Bullet. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like a cliche, but it was just like I had this epiphany. Like I, like like I finally understood kind of what ACDC was all about, um, and it was just the way that that music lifted me at that sort of critical moment when you know I could have made a very foolish decision, and it just made me feel good. Um, it just really uplifted me. It made me feel strong. It made me feel like you know I wanted to get up in the morning and go for a jog and. And it was also, you know, not just the Young's guitars that kind of just build in that song, but it was also, you know, the lyrics of uh, Bon Scott. Um, you know, when he's singing about a woman he, he can't have. And and it just, I, I really related to it um, emotionally as well as, um, you know, uh, physically. I mean, the music just made me um, feel fantastic. And I thought, you know, that there's there's something in that. There's something about, you know, the way that ACDC's music um, connects to people, just not uh, not just on a, an emotional level, but a but a, a you know a visceral uh, physical one. And I think that 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 is the the secret to why they're so incredibly popular around the world. And so that was, you know, my personal connection to the to the music. Uh, and and the Youngs opens with that story. Um, the second part uh, of my answer is, um, I, you know, I, I had, as I mentioned before, I had, I'd done that book called Laid Bear, and um, uh, you know, I was talking to um, Random House at the time, and and the publisher there, a woman called uh, Alison Urquhart, said to me, "Have you got any ideas for a book?" And I said, you know, what about the Young Brothers? You know, no one's done a book about them. Um, I can't believe that, you know, these guys are, you know, two of the most significant rock musicians of all time, but no one's ever actually attempted a book about them. Um, And she said, it's a brilliant idea, but, you know, why not not do George as well? And I thought, brilliant, let's do it. Um, So I thought, you know, I had this sort of, um, you know, surefire hit, <laughs> and then uh, and then I started working on it, and very quickly realised it was going to be much more difficult than than I thought. Because um, as you know, um, you know the guys in the band, you know, don't really cooperate with biographers. They do a lot of tour press. Um, you know, when they've got a record to promote um, or a tour to promote, but they're not very open when it comes to kind of. Uh, you know, probing biographies. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the challenge. It was was shit. You know, how am I going to write this book? You know. Um, so then, uh, you know, for the next year, I just slaved over this book, <laughs> um, and it, you know, became an obsession. But uh, you know, I found it very rewarding, and you know, to this day, you know, I'm still still engaging with. Um, you know, other fans around the world, um, you know, every day about this band. It's just sort of touched the lives of hundreds of millions of people. Absolutely. Definitely one of the biggest bands still out there. I, I mean, you could just see by the enormity of 
uh, each one of their tours and and their album sales and and everything else. Definitely a a band that, um, I mean, growing up in the states, definitely all over classic rock radio, and um, a band that still played on radio regularly. Um, before we go any further, let's just jump into the one track that you did mention there. Let's jump into Give Me a Bullet uh, off of Power Age, and we'll come right back with Jesse, the author of The Youngs.
had a little ACDC with Gimme a Bullet. And um, it's very interesting uh, what you just touched upon. And it's it's so true. There are so many bands, especially today with reality TV and everything, that even when they're off the stage, they try to get in on all of these uh, big scandalous TV shows or on you know the various music sites so that people know that they're still relevant or they're still out there. And as big as ACDC is, you don't really see them, as you mentioned, you don't really see them during their off-season, per se, going out there and pursuing having their names out there uh, in the press. Yeah, the young, the Youngs especially. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, Cliff Williams and, and Brian Johnson are a little bit more public. Um, um, but, you know, certainly... You know, Malcolm and Angus are, you know, very, very private people. Um, you know, Phil Rudd's a, a sort of a different case altogether. Um, we've had more press more press about Phil Rudd, you know, in the past six months than in the past 40 years. Right. <laughs> and that, that's, that's so unfortunate for someone, and I mean, I guess until the case really comes up and and all of the details get out there, but it's... It is very sad that, you know, from August onward, we've really had all this news about him and none of it's been good. And it's unfortunate that, you know, the band even just recently played the Grammys and you had Chris Slade playing with them. So I think it's pretty obvious that uh, the band is shying away from all the negative publicity that Phil has really brought up. Yeah, but I mean, I, I really, you know, it was just a hunch at the time, but um, it, it was when it sort of just came out of the blue that, you know, Phil Rudd was doing this solo record. Right. Um, head job. And I think it was, oh, God, when did I first hear about it? I, I, and it was, um, you know, mid last year. And, you know, I, I, had, I had written the book and, um, you know, I'd spoken to Phil Carson, who had um, signed ACDC um, you know, back in the 70s. And, you know, he, he said to me, um, you know, it, it's the case where, you know, that, you know, these guys don't do solo records. Right. Um, you know, it, it's frowned upon. Um, you know, you, you, no one's going to go and rock the boat. Um and, you know, then there was this news that, you know, Phil was doing this solo record. And I thought, well, you know, that's very strange because, you know, if you, you look back on the, the history of ACDC, you know, none of the other members of the band um, have done a solo record. You know, you, right. expect, you expect, you know, maybe one or two, you know, I mean, you look at the Rolling Stones, you know, how many... Solo records of you know the various members done over you know a, t- a, a similar time frame to ACDC. In fact, you know much longer than ACDC. Um, right. But with ACDC, you know there are no solo records. There's nothing from Cliff. There's nothing from from Brian. Um, nothing from the Youngs. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Phil's got this solo record, and I thought, you know, that's very odd. Um, and then, you know, when he did his tour press um, for, for that record, you know, he just didn't seem to be the old Phil. 
so you know, I got I got a feeling that you know something something was up, and uh, you know it, it proved to be the case. Um, yeah, it's it's um, you know it's I think it's very sad for the band and and for for the fans because I think you know Phil is so much a part of the the sound of the band um, and has been for you know since 1975. Um, you know, even even when he was out of the band in the 80s, um, you know, pe- people were still talking about his drumming and they remember it fondly and 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 the songs that he performed on are still the you know the the greatest hits in the in the ACDC canon. So, um, you know, I think he's a, he's a great loss to the band. And and you know, I'll be frank with you, uh, I, I saw the Grammys performance and you know, I, I just felt like you know something was kind of missing. Um, I didn't think that Brian Johnson vocally, you know, was was anywhere near his best. Um, you know, it was about 40 or 50 seconds before his voice broke. And, um, you know, I thought, you know, how, the, how are these guys going to do a tour? You know, he's going to have to take real good care of his voice. Um, and also, you know, Slade's drumming is, is very different, you know, as, as you know. So, you know, it's a, yeah, different, yeah. it's a different band. And, of course, you know, Stevie is in there doing his, you know, his absolute best to, to replicate, you know, Mal's sound. Um, but, you know, kind of Mal, you know, he's, he's one of a kind. And, and I think you know, the band without Malcolm, as much as Angus is, you know, still amazing, um, you know, I think the thing that really made ACDC special from the very beginning um, was the, the combination of Angus and Malcolm and, and later um, the contribution of Bomb Scott. I mean, those three together really made the band, and, and, and that's certainly why, you know, the focus of the book um, for me was, uh, you know, those critical years when they were trying to break in America, and I think that's when they, they produced their, their best music. Absolutely. The list of songs that you sent me were were very much uh, heavy towards the Bon Scott year, especially the, the Power Age uh, album. Um, the second song you'd sent me was Rock and Roll Damnation. Um, mm. Is there any specific reason why this song stands out to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I read, of course, um, you know, Mick Wall's book, uh, ACDC, Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be. And, and the actual quote that he, <laughs> that he uses in the book to describe it is that a two-bit piece of head bopping guff um which i thought was you know ridiculous because i think it's it's just one of those songs you just put on and it just you know it just blows you away it just right. completely um energizes you and and that is you know for me it is the is the essence of acdc is is, is that song um you know and i was talking to, to mark evans he loves it as well. Um, you know, we were. I had a night where it was like something out of Wayne's World. I'm, I was I was driving in the in the western suburbs of Sydney uh, with Mark Evans in my car and my daughter in the front and <laughs> listening to listening to Power Age. You know, with with one of the guys from ACDC. It was it was amazing. And um, you know, he said that he loves. Um, 
he loves that song. And, you know, and, and you can hear the, you know, the tambourines and the shakers. Um, there's a real kind of a Motown feel to that song. Right. Uh, which, uh, you know, is a hallmark of, of, of Vander and Young. Um, mm-hmm. They did something similar in um, the John Paul Young song, uh, Love is in the Air, which was a big worldwide hit. And you can hear it in that song. You know, you can hear the percussion. Uh, and that's why it just, it just, it's just a brilliant rock and roll song. Excellent. So let's check out the track Rock and Roll Damnation by ACDC. Stay! 
We are joined once again by Jesse Fink, the author of The Youngs. Um, right before we played Rock and Roll Damnation there, you were touching upon a, a very interesting point. Um, George Young is their older brother, the one that actually first broke, uh, especially in your native Australia. And unless you're really a diehard fan, or, or I, I wouldn't say a diehard, but the casual fan probably doesn't realize the influence that George had on Malcolm and Angus. And as you were describing, you know, the whole Motown thing, um, that was the first thing that, that I thought of was because his music was so much different to what um, ACDC became. Um, but you still hear in the albums that he produced, uh, you still hear his sort of sound, his sort of feel. Mm-hmm. And um, you could also say that when the band transitioned over to Mutt Lang and, um, and when Angus and Malcolm produced things themselves in, in the 80s and as the band evolved, you, not only Bon Scott not being there, but maybe even George Young not being there had a lot to do with the sound maybe swaying a little more than from the origins. And, um, you know, a a lot of people say that ACDC hasn't changed over the years, but they actually have, if you listen. Oh, absolutely changed, dramatically changed. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, real boogie in in the the George Young era ACDC. You know, you mentioned Motown. I mean, and George... Young and the Easy Beats were, sound, uh, were signed to Rare Earth Records, which was, uh, you know, a label of Motown um, in the 60s. Uh, and, and the book opens with um, this song, uh, Good Times, uh, which, was a, which wasn't much of a hit for, for them at the time, but, you know, was, was kind of a big hit for In Excess and Jimmy Barnes in the 80s um, off the right. Lost Boys soundtrack. You know, and you, and you can hear that, you know, the that distinctive kind of ACDC riff in that song uh, and, and other songs by uh, the Easy Beats, um, particularly um, uh, St. Louis. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, Australians are more uh, obviously familiar with the history of, of the Easy Beats because, you know, we... we um, we grew up with them. They were, they were kind of like the Australian version of the Beatles. But, you know, what I was really surprised by, I guess, after the book came out was just how many people contacted me and said, you know, I, I had no idea about George Young. Um, <laughs> I, I had no idea he was so involved um, and such a, you know, a musical pioneer for, for the family and the band. Um, yeah, he was he was absolutely critical to the rise of ACDC. Without George, we wouldn't have an ACDC today uh, because, you know, it was his influence, you know, one that, you know, got them, um, you know, uh, studio time with, with, with Alberts, you know, they, they got them, you know, the record deal. Um, they got them, you know, all the kind of um, – Little little advantages that you know help any band when they're first starting out. Um, you know, George was was obviously you know a, a massive contributor to the to the early momentum of, of ACDC. 
Um, but, you know, credit to the band, you know, they, they, they took their opportunity and, and they worked their asses off. Um, and, you know, and, it, and it's a point I hammer home time and time again in the book is how hard that band worked. You know, they were doing, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds of shows a year, you know, sometimes three, four times a day. Um, and they would play anywhere, you know, uh, and, uh, I think, you know, what, what Mutt Lang did was that, you know, he just accentuated a lot of the strengths that, you know, that George had, had obviously brought out in the band, but he just kind of amplified them a little bit. And, and I think, you know, one, one thing that, you know, Mutt Lang did tremendously well um and George didn't do so well was 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 the backing vocals you know you, you listen to highway to hell um and just you know that that song itself the song highway to hell you listen to the backing vocals in that in that song and they just erupt you know and they they just give so much more power to the song and that that whole album um really is just, you know, is a hallmark of, of what Mutt Lang does with his bands. I mean, you listen to Def Leppard, it's all about the backing vocals. You listen to Highway to Hell, what's he doing? He's working on the backing vocals. Um, and that's, that's a big difference, I think, with George Young. You know, George Young was, was, had more of an approach which was, you know, let's be raw, let's just rock it um, as hard as we can. Um, let's just put it down on tape and, you know, don't worry about the mistakes. But, you know, Mutt Lang was totally different. He, he didn't want any mistakes. He just wanted it to sound awesome. Um, and, and for me, you know, like a, a song that um, really stands as a, as a mark of the, the brilliance of Mutt Lang is, um, you know, Spellbound off um, For Those About to Rock, which was, you know, the last song on the album. Um, it's just fantastic the way that song ends, you know, really, and I mentioned in the book, I, you know, I just think it sort of calibrates perfectly, um, the, 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 the power of ACDC. Um, but it's a very different sound to that, to that early, um, George Young, uh, ACDC. So, you know, as you said in your, um, your, your preamble, um, yeah, that they're two different bands, um, but I make no apologies. I'm 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 a, an avowed fan of uh, Bon Scott era ACDC. Um, you know, I love Back in Black the album. I think it's great. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Rock or Bust, but you know, as my standbys, I go to uh, Let There Be Rock, uh, Power Age. Um, you know, I'm really getting into um, their first album, High Voltage, which uh, celebrates 40 years this week. Excellent. And High Voltage, uh, what a lot of people don't know, was was actually released. Um, I'm sorry, it was originally released in Australia as TNT and then re-recorded as High Voltage, correct? Well, I mean, High Voltage was the, the first album was recorded. Uh, at uh, the tail end of 1974, uh, re- was released uh, February 75, and okay. then and then what happened was um, 
when they were signed to Atlantic Records, they just didn't think that it was strong enough to release on its own. So what they did was they combined uh, the Australian high voltage uh, with TNT and put it out as high voltage uh, with a completely different cover, uh, which is the album that first hit uh, America back in 76. Um, so yeah, the, the the first the first Australian high voltage is the one that's celebrating its its 40 years this week, and um, you know th- there are some really fantastic songs on that record. Um, you know, she's got balls, which is fantastic. Uh, uh, a little lover, soul stripper. You know, and and the the really interesting story that that I think came out of my book was. Um, was the song High Voltage. Um, you know, I, I it's one of my favourite ACDC tracks. Again, you know, like it's like rock and roll then damnation. I, I never failed to kind of be, you know, swept away by this song. But, you know, what was amazing is that um, Tony Carranti, who was the, the drummer on High Voltage, the album, um, also says that he, he drummed on the single. Which appears on TNT, um, you know. And Tony uh, is a guy that is virtually completely unknown to to most ACDC fans, and certainly unknown to most Americans. Um, and I was really the you know the first biographer who went out and talked to him, and you know got his story. And what he told me kind of changed, you know, the history books. So. You know, I've, I've since gone on and become friends with Tony. He's a fabulous guy, and you know, it's brought me great, great joy to see him. You know, taking up drumming again. He's he's just about to head off to Europe and do some shows over there. Um, you know, when you see him play live and he does high voltage, there's no mistaking the fact that Tony's drums uh, are on that single. You know, and but there's nothing on nothing on the album to suggest that he did it. And, you know, I think that's a, a great shame. I think, um, you know, it's a theme in the book. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who were involved in the, in the rise of ACDC who just didn't get the recognition they deserve. Excellent. Let's, um, let's check out the title track off of High Voltage, and we'll be back with Jesse Fink in one moment. <laughs>
there we had title track off of the High Voltage album. As uh, Jesse just mentioned, it will celebrate 40 years of its initial release in Australia. Um, it's interesting what you just mentioned regarding um, people not being included in, in the history of, of so many big bands, actually. There are so many little people, or not little people, just people that are involved to help them get to a place until they find maybe their definitive formation or a definitive sound who, after the band finally gets there, they're either written off or, um, or in this case, as you're saying, there's there's no mention of someone playing on the album. I mean, that's happened so many times since uh since the mid to late 60s where you have this huge album and all of a sudden years later you find out oh well um you know actually it was Cozy Powell who played on the album or it was someone else but they were more or less a a ghost player per se and really don't you know, don't come out in the uh, history of the band. It's it's really a shame, and and that leads me to um, w- someone that you brought up a little earlier, Mark Evans. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it's always been a travesty. Not only I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a big sham, but that they excluded him from being involved um, with ACDC's induction. Um, after telling him that he was going to be involved on top of that, I think is just a horrible disservice to the man after um, what he did for the band on its early onset. Um, When you spoke to Mark, did you ever broach that specific topic? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's disgusting. You know, and you say it's a disservice to Mark. I think it's a disservice to ACDC. And I think it's a disservice to the fans of ACDC. Um, because, you know, Mark, um, you know, was involved in, in over a dozen of the greatest songs that ACDC ever performed. And they certainly make up the bulk of what ACDC performs in concert today, even with Brian Johnson. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's... It was completely outrageous, outrageous. Um, and and there are certainly you know people who have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame who who have contributed far less than Mark Evans, right? Uh, did to a did to ACDC. Um, yeah, and you know I I, I got to meet Mark. Um, you know I, I had a good cordial kind of uh, you know meeting with him. We talked you know, for a few hours in this cafe in Sydney and, you know, and he opened up to me um, about, you know, things that I didn't think he was going to talk about. I mean, he talked about, you know, Bon Scott with his heroin overdose and, um, but, the, you know, he he didn't want to go into the, the, the whole Hall of Fame thing. You know, I think he's very, uh, you know, I think he's just kind of, comfortable now with you know what with what happened he doesn't want to kind of revisit that and sort of make it an issue you got to respect that um i do think you know for uh for posterity's sake though i think it's a great shame that you know mark um you know isn't up there 
with those guys um, in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, then again, I mean, the, the whole issue of the, the Hall of Fame is, um, you know, something we could talk about for, for hours, you know. Sure, I mean, sure. Why, why on earth does, you know, the Doobie Brothers get omitted every year? You know, why? You know, yeah. and, and a band like Green Day gets in, but not the Doobie Brothers? I mean, Jesus Christ, you know. It, it's, it, just, it, it's just it's just stupid. Yeah. Um, and it just makes a mockery of, of kind of the name of the of the institution. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, yeah, so, you know, on a personal level, I had a lot of sympathy and empathy for Mark. Um, I think he was very hard done by. Um, I, I, I consider him, you know, to be a member of the classic lineup of ACDC. Um I will always prefer, you know, Mark to to Cliff. Um, there was just something about um, that era of the band that I, you know, I, I just think they just completely nailed it. Everything about the band was just perfect at that point. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that he was kind of removed uh, on a, you know. Uh, not so solid pretext kind of, you know, was unfortunate. I think he deserved to have many more decades with that band. And, um, you know, but, but credit to Mark. I think he's kind of handled uh, the ensuing years with, with great grace and humility. And, um, you know, he's certainly someone that, um, you know, I admire – as a human being, you know, much more than as a musician. Was there any fact that you mentioned that he talked to you about uh, Bon Scott and certain issues? Was there any details that you learned about the band that really surprised you that you weren't aware of previously? Well, I mean, it was the fact that, you know, that he said that, that, that Angus and Malcolm had considered sacking Bon Scott. You know, that was very big news uh, when it came out um, here in Australia. It went around the world. went on every radio station in America. You know, it was big news. I mean, I, of course, I'd read about and heard about, you know, Bon Scott having a heroin overdose back in 75, but, you know, I'd never heard of the, the fact that, you know, the young brothers had thought about sacking him. Mm-hmm. Um because Bon, you know, is a demigod in in ACDC um, law. You know, he's right. He's he's you know he's an icon, and you know uh, we certainly hear about you know how how important Bon was to the band from from Malcolm and Angus. But you know to hear from the mouth of Mark Evans that they had actually considered sacking him was you know I think fairly significant so you know i was i was certainly surprised when when mark told me that because it was something that wasn't in his own book for instance was there anything by anyone else that you interviewed that surprised you oh i mean god there was there was heaps i mean um you know i i talked to um you know doug thaler who was um ACDC's booking agent in the States in the 70s. He went on to um, be the manager of Motley Crue, um, you know, talking about how he 
was the one who who connected Mutt Lang to to ACDC, um, which was a story you never heard before. You know, um, in in all the previous tellings of the ACDC story, what you hear is that you know Michael Browning, who was ACDC's manager at the time, had this sort of brainwave and. Cedric Kushner's apartment that, you know, he would get the band together with ACDC. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an account that, you know, Michael uh, repeats in his uh, recent biography. Um, but, you know, in my book, you know, there, there are a number of accounts that contradict that. You know, and, and, you know, it might it might seem like you know this is the kind of stuff that only ACDC geeks would kind of be interested in, but I mean I, I consider you know uh, the story of Mutt Lang and how Mutt Lang came to be involved with ACDC to be a historically significant story uh, because of course they went on and recorded not only Highway to Hell but but Back in Black. Um, the greatest, the greatest rock album of all time. Well, the biggest rock album of all time. I, I still think Power Age is the, the greatest rock album of all time. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it's significant on 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 that level. I mean, there was there was also the story of, um, you know, the logo and and who owns it and and how its designer never received a cent in royalties um, uh, for its use in merchandising. Um, you know, so I got to speak to to uh, Gerard, who, who uh, Gerard Huerta, who designed it, and uh, um, you know that story really surprised me. I mean, because you know he went and he did that logo for a specific album. They went went away. They used another logo. They came back to it. You know, you would think after however many decades of using that logo on every single kind of bit of merchandising you can think of um you know that that guy would have made some money from that but he hasn't you know so i mean that was really you know a massive surprise to me um and also you know um i guess uh you know getting back to to doug uh thaler again you know he what he said about uh you shook me all night long you know he said to me you can bet your life that Bon Scott wrote you, you Shook Me All Night Long. And, you know, I have a, a couple of chapters, you know, towards the end of the book, you know, talking about Bon Scott's involvement in, in that record. And, you know, I'm not the only one who thinks this. <laughs> you know, the, these things have been talked about for years and they will continue being talked about for years. Uh, and I think, um, you know, there there's... There's a lot of compelling kind of anecdotal evidence about you know Bon Scott's involvement. On that note, let's uh, check out another track. Let's check out Down Payment Blues off of Power Age. Um, you professed over and over again how much you love the album. Why do you love this track? Uh, because, you know, I mean, the later period uh, sort of ACDC is, you know, just all about, you know, sex and and guns and having a good time and you know this is a song about being poor about being broke about you know doing it tough and that's why i think power age stands head and shoulders above all the other acdc albums 
is because it's kind of about real life. And and that's why I connected with it on a personal level. And I think it's why, you know, millions of people around the world consider it the best um, ACDC album because, you know, we, we see a, a real um, glimpse of humanity in the band in this album. Um, you know, he's, Bond's writing about things that affect all of us. Uh, and it just so happens that, you know, his fantastic words are combined with, you know, some of the best guitar work that the Youngs ever did. And what we got was magic. Awesome. So let's check out the track, Down Payment Blues by ACDC coming off of Power Age. <laughs>
There we had the track selected by the author, Jesse Fink, of the great book, The Youngs, The Brothers Who Built ACDC. And uh, that was the track, Down Payment Blues, off of Power Age. Uh, an interesting word that you keep hitting on, which is something that I always bring up when I talk about music in general. <clears throat> music has to be emotional to connect with people. And a lot of people will always say, well, this album isn't as great as the other album because it came out X amount of years after or, or for whatever reason they want to bring up. A lot of times what people skirt is just that emotion. When you listen to an album during a certain period mm. of time in your life and it grabs you a certain way, the lyrics grab you, the lyrics, as you're saying regarding uh, Down Payment Blues or just the album Power Age in general um, is something that for me it's similar to a lot of my favorite bands where when it was a desperate point in their career and they were trying to scrape their way out of you know the doldrums and get to a point where they aspire to be or you even have bands that have fallen off of the top and have realized that they need to, you know, change a course to try to get back to the top. And they talk about sort of desperate times or desperate measures. Mm -hmm. And it's always something that is connected with me as, as well. Um, regarding things being sort of different, um, I went to some of the various sites where they've discussed your book. And what I found very amusing um, the author Greg Prado has been on uh, my show as well, and I absolutely love what he's done with his books in the way that a book or, or a story is presented in, in a different way to how you're used to reading autobiographies or, or biographies. And um, people seem to have issues with reading something that's different or <laughs> have a different point of view when it comes to presenting a subject, and I thought it was interesting that people sort of couldn't grasp that your take on the book was different than McWall's or other people's story um, or, or other people's account of the uh, of the Youngs or of uh, ACDC or the way that they presented it. Um, when you when you sat down to write the book. Obviously, you mentioned that you wanted to focus on the Youngs, but was there ever a conscious effort in your mind to say, you know what, I want to bring something completely different, the format, the style, I want to talk about songs, I want to talk about things that, um, an approach that no one else has, has come upon. Was that a conscious effort from the start, or did that just sort of come about as you were putting everything together? Yeah, I mean, I said at the beginning, you know, it, it was, you know, sure, I would have loved to have uh, uh, sat down with, with Malcolm and Angus, but, you know, when it became clear that that wasn't going to happen, um, you know, you have to approach it in a different way. But, you know, certainly uh, from the very beginning, I was determined to write a book uh, that wasn't a straight biography. Uh, and, and I chose to do that by kind of, presenting the book um, in a different way, which was to have, you know, chapters named after songs. And, and the songs 
11 songs that I chose in the book were kind of signposts of things that were happening in, in ACDC's career at the time. Um, I also, you know, I didn't give a shit about, you know, stuff that had already been talked about. Um, you know, I didn't want to talk about their childhoods. I wasn't interested in their childhoods. Um, that kind of stuff just bored the shit out of me because, you know, um, it's not really adding anything to the story I want to tell. The story I want to tell is why the music connects to people. So the focus above all else was um, why does ACDC's music connect to so many hundreds of millions of people around the world? Um, you know, why, why do people dress their entire families in, in ACDC merchandise? You know, why do people carve ACDC into pigs? Why do they wear it, um, you know, on um, on jackets with, you know, multiple patches? Why do, you know, you, you see any sort of recent ACDC video and you see the guys who, you know, have got those, you know, hundreds of patches on their denim vests. You know, I mean, these guys worship this band. So, so what is it about the music? itself that that connects to them in that way and and so that was my focus it wasn't on you know where these guys came from you know what they were doing when they were 10 12 14 you know that didn't matter to me their personal lives really were of no concern it was all about the music um you know and of course um in the course of of, of writing the book um you know I, I i offer my own opinion on things uh, I certainly, you know, make um, make a point that, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Bon Scott and I'm not such a fan of, of Brian Johnson as a singer. Um, and that certainly has sort of um, rubbed up some people uh, the wrong way. Um, you know, there, there are legions of people who are, you know, very pro uh, Brian Johnson. Um, you know, I... Uh, you know the the book has been controversial. There's there's no mistake about that. Um, you're absolutely right to say that. Um, but I consider that a sign of of me actually doing a good job, uh, which is that you know I didn't want to go and do another um, traditional kind of biography of the band. I mean they'd been done. You know I read uh, you know Engelhardt. I read wall you know um even you know i thought anthony uh anthony boz's book um why acdc matters was was kind of interesting um not entirely successful but i mean i thought it was it was an interesting way of approaching the topic um i thought uh, there's a guy called uh, joe bonomo uh who wrote a book about highway to hell uh, he did a great job on that. I um, mean, that that book I, I thought was was great because it was about kind of how that album affected him personally, and that was certainly something that I kind of wanted to um, you know talk about in my book. Was as I said to you at the beginning, how "Give Me a Bullet" kind of changed my life that night, and um, you know, um, it's yeah, it's been really interesting kind of since the book came out because I, I get. I get hundreds of letters from people. I get emails from people all the time. I also get emails from people who are attacking me. You know, we're, we're all capable of kind of, um, 
you know, uh, being critical when we need to be. And, you know, just because um, you don't think something is great doesn't mean that you're not a fan of, of something, you know. And, and I consider myself above all else uh, in regards ACDC. I, I consider myself a fan of the band, you know. Um, but that's to say that, um, you know, there, there, are, there are moments in ACDC's career when, when what I'm listening to I just really don't consider to be very good at all. And, you know, I think... As I said to you before, I think Fly on the Wall is is not a very good album. Um, and a lot of people um, find it very hard to listen to. Um, you know, it sounds like sort of Brian Johnson singing in a bathtub. It's, it's just badly recorded. You know, I wish they had, had used a very good producer. If Mutt Lang had been involved in that album, um, you know, maybe it would have been much more successful. But it was, it was a, a bit of a disaster for ACDC. Um, but then, you know, they go and they make something as fantastic as rock or bust, you know, which I was really, really blown away by. I thought, you know, well done to them. You know, it's a real return to form. I think it's probably their best album since, um, you know, flick of the switch, possibly even back in black. Um, it's short. Yes, but it's but all the songs are catchy. They're, they're, they've got great choruses. Um, you know, it's it's really tight. Uh, I think uh, you know a song like "Rock the Blues Away" is you know probably one of the best bits of pop rock that that ACDC has ever done. And if there's any justice in the world, it'll be a big hit for ACDC. I think you know credit to the band. They're, they've um, Put out a put a put out a great record, you know, at, at a time when you know things have been very difficult for them, and um, you know, it's, but that's that's part of following a band, you know, you, you're allowed to kind of not like things, and and I, and I think um, you know what's kind of been really interesting all all through this process, not not just of writing the book, but but promoting it and talking to people about the book, and you know, even just just doing my Facebook page, for instance, um, you know, I think there's a real difference between a fan and a fanatic. Right. <laughs> and, and there are, there are millions of ACDC fans and there's this kind of lunatic fringe of ACDC fanatics. And, and the ACDC fanatics will not brook any criticism of the band. Um, and they're quite feral about it. Uh, and they make it known, you know. You, you know, I've I've got my fair share of trolls. I've got my fair uh, my fair share of people who abuse me online. Um, uh, you know, it's never got to, you know, kind of a dramatic point. But you know, I mean, I've you know, sure, certainly been bothered by a number of people who who don't take kindly to some of the things that I've written, but. You know, following ACDC, I mean, it's it's incumbent upon me as a as a biographer to kind of you know write about things that you know maybe don't flatter them completely, such as you know as you mentioned before, you know how they how they treated Mark Evans, um, how they've handled Tony Carranti, um, guys like um, you know Ian Jeffrey, who um, you know 
um, their tour manager slash manager who, you know, to this day, um, you know, considers, you know, his axing from, from the ACDC set up sort of being the darkest day of his life. You know, there are people who have been profoundly personally affected by some of the decisions that the band has made. Um, and they were all elements of the success of ACDC. Um, and, you know, as as someone who is, is interested in the band's story, you know, it's it's important that, you know, all their stories are told. And, and, and that's certainly why... Um, you know, I made it a point of, of kind of seeking out people who, who hadn't spoken before uh, for ACDC books. I mean, I was, was very fortunate to, um, you know, speak to, to Jerry Greenberg, the president of Atlantic, who hadn't spoken before. And he opened up all kinds of doors for me. And, you know, um, I spoke to a whole bunch of people from Atlantic who, who hadn't talked. And, you know, as a result, I think... I produced a very more, a much more rounded kind of account of those critical years when the band was trying to take off in America. And for me, you know, just uh, speaking personally, for me, that's the most fascinating part of the ACDC story. What happened after Back in Black for me is not that fascinating. So, you know, some people have said, you know, how can you, you know, only have sort of one chapter about post back in black. Well, you know, for me, it's not that interesting. For me, what what's most interesting is when the band was at its creative peak, which for which for me was 1976 to 1980. You know, uh, that was when they produced their best music, and it was when they were probably at their most vulnerable. And that vulnerability, I think, is is. Um, is a contributing factor to, to, to the music. You know, th those guys had to prove something to Atlantic Records and they went and they did it, you know, and that's why I, I, I am so filled with admiration for ACDC because I just think, um, you know, they've, they've gone and uh, created, you know, some of the, some of the most brilliant and most enduring rock songs of all time and they all, you know, they did it in the space of four or five years. The songs, the songs that they play in concert today, the, the ones are the songs that they they made in that in that critical kind of five year period. And those and and those songs from that five year period have basically made their career for the past forty years. That's definitely a great point. And if you look at post back in black, as you're saying, <clears throat> those. Um, the band was already established, and the story really, really doesn't change. Whereas, you know, the that's when the band probably became much more recluse and everything due to the su success. But during those formative years in the '70s is where you do have all sort of the the um, the meat and potatoes of what made them what they are 40 years later. Absolutely, they they were, they were so hungry for success, and they knew that they couldn't fuck up. You know that that. That led to be rock, Power Age were absolutely, you know, fundamental albums to their career. You know, and you can hear that that kind of passion and that hunger in Let There Be Rock and and Power Age. 
Um, and and that's why I, I think today those those records still stand the test of time because there is, you know, there, there's there's um, you know, of course, there's there's tons of talent in those records, but there's there's a lot of swagger, there's there's bravado, um, there, there's ambition. There's so much ambition in in ACDC in that period, and you can hear it in the music, and that that's why that music soars. It, it's why it's the best rock and roll that those guys ever did. There was so much ambition, and. Uh, you know they they will they will never replicate you know the quality of, of those records i mean you know that that's all in the past and, and so the acdc we have today is a very different very different beast uh sounds different um still fantastic but you know the hunger's not there and um you know and they, and of course that comes with age of course and but you know, for me, listening to a lot of ACDC, I I just think, uh, you know, what the Young Brothers, uh, Phil Rudd, Mark Evans, um, Cliff Williams, um, created with, with Bon Scott, is just the best music those guys ever did. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of been interesting for me because... Um, you know, in Australia, you know, Bon Scott is the god. Right. Everyone, everyone considers Bon Scott the ACDC god. You know, Brian Johnson kind of doesn't really factor into things too much. But in America, in America, you know, I mean, the band really took off with with Brian Johnson. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, th- there is a totally different attitude, I think, from Americans to to the band with Brian Johnson than there is say in Australia and I think that it's it's been very interesting um, for me as an author you know who who's very pro Bob Scott you know dealing with people who are very pro Brian Johnson uh, because that that's what they grew up with you know um, they they see ACDC as a Brian Johnson band they don't see it as a as a Bon Scott band whereas I will always see ACDC as a Bon Scott band and and that's a very interesting point because they're really if you look at it they're one of the very few bands that get a pass when the band is switched from one singer to another i know albeit by the death of bon scott but there are very few bands that um that are able to continue any sort of success once they once they switch singers yeah but you know um I mean, Back in Black is <laughs> is just an amazing record. You know, it's ph- it's a phenomenal record. I, c- I cannot underline enough um, just how uh, fantastic a job. Not only the band, but you know, but Mutt Lang, Tony Platt did with that record because it still sounds so fresh today. Every time you hear it, it sounds like the first time you ever heard it. Right. You know, and that's why. You know, I I I go into some depth with, you know, Tony and other engineers. You know, um, talking about exactly you know how that record was put together and why it sounds so incredibly fresh and and 
you know, why there's so much space in the music and on that album. And I think that's what makes it so special. Um, but, you know, I've got to say, you know, I've got to be honest, uh, you know, that I listen to that record and, and I really do question, you know, how much involvement Bon Scott had in that record. And, and, I think, and I think that's the elephant in the room in the ACDC story is, is just how much involvement Bon Scott had in that record. Where would you like people to go to purchase the book? Is there any specific place? I know I was originally pointed to the Amazon store. Is Amazon the best place to purchase the book or are there other outlets where you would point people to or a specific website of your own? Uh, well, you know, in the States, I mean, support your local bookshop. But, yeah, I mean, it's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Books A Million, all the normal retailers. Um, uh, it's it's coming out in Germany uh, next week. Um, it's, uh, it's out in India at the moment. Uh, it's out in the U.K., and we've got editions um, coming out in Serbia, uh, Denmark. Uh, looks like we've, we've got an Italian edition coming, uh, Argentina, Brazil. Um, you know, and I'm really happy, happy that the book is getting published, is getting into as many markets as we can get it into because, um, you know, I think – you know, I think there's there's a lot of interest in the band, as there should be, because they're, I think they're the greatest rock band of all time. Um, but I, I do think, um, you know, this book kind of offers a, a different kind of telling of, of a very familiar... Um, you know, and, and, and what I would, you know, the, the advice I give any, you know, aspiring music writer is that, you know, yeah, you, you go and read the books about your favorite band, but you know what? Don't just don't accept everything as gospel. You know, you can you can go and you can you can challenge things that have already been written. And and that was a thing that I kind of learned from this book. I read all the stories about ACDC, and I had read about you know how you know Mutt Lang was introduced to the band or whatever, you know, and. And the thing was, you know, when I went to the source, I got a different story. And, and that was a theme sort of running throughout the entire book. There's a, there's a, there's a theme in the book about um, the Akira Kurosawa film, Rashomon, you know, where there are, there are four separate witnesses to this rape and murder, and they all have a different story. And, and the thing is, um, you know, in, in this book, you know, you go to a different people and they'll all tell you a different story. And at the end of the day, you know, you got to you got to question whether there is a definitive truth to anything, right? Um, because it depends who you go to and ask. Um, and you know, Angus Young uh, or Malcolm Young is going to tell you a very different story to, you know, Cedric Kushner or, or uh, Ian Jeffrey or, or David Krebs or Steve Lieber or you know, or Mark Evans. I mean, and that's history. You know, it's 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 just part of you know writing writing history, and um, you know, I mean, I I gave it my best shot, you know, and uh, you know, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm very happy with with kind of what I produced, and you know, I know that I I certainly you know um, worked as hard as I could to kind of put it together, and you know, 
And I don't think that most fans really understand how difficult it is to write a book about this band. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. You know, I mean, we've seen more press from ACDC, um, you know, promoting rock or bust um, than we've seen from her for a very, very, very long time. And, um, you know, you know, even just, you know, appearing at the Grammys, you know, performing at Coachella and, you know, um, you know, would the, would these things have happened, you know, if Malcolm was still running the band, you know, I would question it. Um, you know, because by the accounts of any, anyone who kind of has known the band or worked with the band, you know, the guy ran the show with an iron fist. Um, so yeah, it's a very it's a very different band now, but you know I wish them all the best and you know I'm, I'm like I said to you before I think Rock or Bust is a real return to form and um, you know I hope they have a few more albums in them but you know I'm expecting this to be the last tour. Excellent. Um, you picked one last track that we're going to use to end the show here. Uh, is there any place? Actually, before getting into that track, is there any place where people can reach out to you online? You'd mentioned Facebook before. Are you on Twitter or any other social media platform? Yeah, mate. I mean, part of part of being an author, uh, being an author, is you know having an active social media presence, as you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got a, a Facebook page called um, Facebook dot com Youngs ACDC. Um, or I'm on Twitter, or people can get to me through LinkedIn, you know. And um, you know, if you if you guys know anything about the band, and you know, you got your own stories, you know, love to hear them, you know. Because you know, I, I have a lot of respect for anyone who you know has tried to kind of write a serious book about this band. It's 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 not easy, you know. And I think um, I think ACDC. Um, deserves many more books. Um, I don't think they've got the critical recognition um, they've, they've warranted. Um, and, you know, my book is just a small part of, uh, you know, the sum of knowledge about this band. And, and you know, I have a lot of admiration for, for people who are, you know, putting together websites and Facebook pages and, um, and uh, you know, um, whatever else you know that that they can put together about the band because it, it's all very important you know and there's there's going to be a day when hopefully um, ACDC you know does their own official biography and um, it's going to be interesting to read. That seems to be uh, what everyone's clamoring for, so we'll see if that ever <laughs> co- comes to pass. As you mentioned, with Malcolm, unfortunately due to his um, illness, uh, with him stepping off to the side maybe all of this does come to fruition now i guess only time will tell um i want to thank you for coming on the show and it's been great talking to you about the band um back in black is the last track that you did pick um someone that i had interviewed regarding that album had said that the only reason that acdc never released a greatest hits album was because they recorded Back in Black. Um, <laughs> so, um, and and Back in Black is my introduction as a as a child 
to the band My Brother's a Few Years Older Than I Am, and he had um, uh, he, he had that album gifted to him uh, by my parents uh, for one of his birthdays. So it was one of those things in the in the um, late seventies, early eighties, which was always on the the turntable uh, quite a few times a day. So um, the the song itself, uh, is there anything that you want to mention about that before we, we jump to it? Well, I mean, you know, as I said to you before, uh, when we were talking earlier, you know, um, you know, I make a, I make a point, you know, in, in my, in my book about talking, you know, Bon Scott's possible involvement, um, in, in the composition of that, of that album. And I, and I do think, you know, as much as, you know, we hear that, you know, back in black, the album was a, was a tribute to Bond, and, and of course, it was a tribute to Bond. I mean, you read the lyrics to that song; it's 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 a case of you know, um, it's about it's a song about being rich, you know, about coming back into money, right? And uh, you know, which is a curious thing when you know, um, you know, the album is supposed to be kind of um, you know a tribute to a guy who's just died. Um, but there, you know, there were things about, you know, the song itself that, you know, I, I think, you know, had certain linkages back to Power Age. There's, you know, talk of Cadillacs um, uh, in Down Payment Blues, which is a song about being poor. And then you have a song, Back in Black, uh, which is about being rich. You know, so there's kind of like a narrative arc between the two songs. Um, and also, you know... Um, uh, Isa Scott, uh, Bond's mother, uh, late mother, you know, was talking about, you know, the uh, when she when she saw Bond, you know, uh, when he was over in Western Australia just before he died, you know, talking about how, you know, Back in Black was going to be, you know, the, the album that kind of turned everything around, that, you know, he finally was going to, you know, be going to the bank and making money and, you know, and when she said that, and you know, reading her quote, and you and you read the lyrics to Back in Black, you you kind of you know, I don't think it's an outrageous stretch to think that you know maybe Bon Scott had a hand in that song. And I'm not saying that, you know, the whole thing was written by Bon. Uh, but you know, I I do think there are you know possibly snatches of the lyrics in that song that you know could well have come from something that Bon had written. And. Uh, you know, anyone who's read the book will know that, you know, I go into some discussion about uh, the notebooks or, or scraps of paper that, you know, Bond left behind when he died and, and exactly what happened to those scraps of paper. Um, and there are differing accounts about what happened to them. Um, and they've never really been adequ adequately answered. Uh, so, you know, from a from a journalist's point of view and from a listener's point of view, you know, there are some songs on Back in Black that I certainly would question, you know, whether there was some involvement on the part of Bon Scott and, and, and Back in Black is one of those songs. Um, but but most conspicuously, I think, you know, the song that for me suggested there is uh, – the lyrical involvement of Bon Scott is, is you shook me all night long. Um, and I don't care what anyone says. I, I do think Bon was involved in that. Excellent. Well, 
Let's end the show with a little Back in Black coming off of Back in Black.
Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show.